speakest to us. We thank you for your magnificent love that is not dependent on our behavior, but is dependent on your character. And Father, we pray for your blessing on Cindy and Rick as they go over and on these uh, these uh, workers that, that they will meet and encourage. Uh, Father, we pray that the kingdom of God would expand through them. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning, uh, and I'd like you to, to invite you to turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 15. And we're kind of chomping our way through a chunk at a time through this book. And as you're on your way there, let me ask you this. Uh, how many of you, when you're in the middle of a difficult situation, have been told something like this by a brother or sister in, in Christ? You just need to trust the Lord here. He's going to provide. And it's a good thing to hear, and it's a good thing to say to one another, because it is true, and it is biblical, and it is right that God does provide when we trust Him. Uh, but let me ask another question. What happens when we don't? What happens when we don't trust the Lord, and instead of trusting Him, we grumble, and we complain, and we get bitter, and our faith dries up? What happens then? Does God still provide? Well, to ask that question another way, uh, let me ask it this way. Is God's provision dependent on my actions? Do I have to first respond with maturity and trust to my circumstances uh, before God will respond in meeting my need? What do you think? Let's find out. Let's read the scripture together. All right. Uh, Exodus chapter 15, beginning verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Now, the Israelites have just had one of the greatest demonstrations of God's power in the entire Old Testament. They have walked through the Red Sea on dry ground with the water on both sides. You know, piled up over here, piled up over here. You can watch the fish swim like an aquarium, only there's no glass. They walk through the water. And then... The Egyptian army, the greatest army of the ancient world, is drowned in the same water they just walked through. And they had this at the end, they, uh, we saw this last week, they stand on the shore of the ocean there, and they have this great worship celebration, and they're singing and dancing and tambourines and, and yelling, I'm sure, and whooping and hollering, and they're having a great celebration of worshiping God for all He has done, and they are praising God for who He is, and praising God for what He's done for them, and praising God for what He's going to do in the future. And then they go out into the desert, 
from there. Three days. And they get to this spot, and it's three days. Three days into the desert. Now, after three days, what do you really, really, really need in the desert? Water. And after three days, probably all the water in their skins is all dried up, and they know their livestock, and they need a drink. And they need one bad. That part of the world today is 120 degrees in the, in the, uh, in the daytime. And you need a drink. And they've just had this magnificent mountaintop experience while standing on the beach, right? And they've had this great worship celebration, and they've all of a sudden they come to an oasis, or what they think is an oasis, and they get there and they see there's water and it's great and just what I wanted. I've got water. Only when they get there, the water is not refreshing. It's toxic because there's all these minerals in the water that make it unsuitable for human consumption. And so they look at Moses and they start grumbling and complaining and going, Hey, Moses, you <laughs> let us out here into the desert. This is, we're following you, pal. What's the deal? What are we going to drink now? And they name the place Mara, which means bitter. In fact, the word bitter shows up several times, and it was bitter water, and they named it Mara, and they came to this place called Mara because the water there was bitter. And, they, and you're supposed to get the point, oh, I think the water was not very good. And, and they start to drink this, and they go, we can't drink this. What are we going to do? We can't drink this. This is, this is poisonous. And there are some problems that you begin to see they've gone from worshiping to all of a sudden forgetful. No sooner do they pass through the sea than the, and worship God than they've forgotten who God is and forgotten who is really leading them. They have gotten selfish. Their primary concern is, God, what are you going to do for me today? I mean, I know... You know, it's a great miracle three days ago and all, but, I mean, it's been three days, so what have you done for me lately? Okay, they're a little bit selfish. Uh, they're ungrateful. They're spiritually immature, uh, which is why they start, they, they look, since they can't really, you know, get a hold of God and complain to Him, they grab the next best thing, the spiritual leader God gave them, and collar Him and start complaining to Him. And by far, their biggest problem is their lack of faith. They don't trust that the Lord is going to take care of them. And in spite of all these things, God hears their complaints. Uh, Moses prays, and he directs Moses to a log. And Moses sa he says, Moses, throw the log in the water. And he does, and the water becomes fit to drink. Now, don't ask me what kind of wood this is. Okay, it's not relevant. We're not told. It's, there's no wood known to man that has this kind of miraculous healing property. That is not, that's not the point. You know, well, we just got to find the right tree. No, God gave Moses some sort of a physical um, object that they could see so that they would understand something has happened to the water and God has made it suitable to drink at this point. And 
God healed. And the, the, the point is, the point of this whole thing is that God is their healer. And if they're going to rely on him, just as he is able to heal the water, he's going to be able to heal them. And notice this. God heals in spite of their complaining. Were they super faithful? No, not so much. Uh, they hadn't really put their trust in the Lord. In fact, they hadn't even talked to the Lord. They talked to Moses an awful lot. But they didn't talk to the Lord at all. And God reveals himself as their healer anyway. And so God, in a demonstration of even more grace, takes them to a new place. He takes them to Palm Springs, um, literally, okay? There are 12 springs of water, and there are 70 palm trees at this next oasis they go to. And it's called Elam, which means trees, named after all the trees that are there. Now, how many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. How many springs are there? Twelve. One for each tribe. How many trees are there? Seventy. You know how many elders there are in the nation of Israel at this time? Seventy. So every elder and his family get a tree to sit under in the shade. And every one of the tribes gets their own spring. God is being very, very gracious. And he's provided in such a way that everybody notices oh, God provided more than enough for everybody to have their own deal. And they're supposed to learn what kind of a good God God really is. Let's move on. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when he sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, whole assembly, with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. 
And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But the sun, when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now, when you read this section, you notice right away that the Israelites did not learn the lesson at Mara and Elam. Because as soon as they wander off from Elam, the first thing on their mind is, we don't have anything to eat, and you've brought us out here into the desert, surely, to kill us all. That's what they sell him. And here's the thing, is that they have developed a spirit of bitterness. Even though they've just spent the last several weeks hanging out at Palm Springs there at Elam, they've nevertheless developed a very bitter spirit. Now, is it true they have nothing to eat? No, that's not true. Uh, They've got livestock, which means they've got Milk, they've got cheese. If they want, they've got barbecue. Okay? Yeah. I bought a new grill yesterday. I'm going to put it together this afternoon. <laughs> okay? Uh, they could have barbecue anytime they want. They've got a giant stockyard following them around. Right? And they go, Moses, we're starving to death. Really? But nevertheless, uh, they have decided to walk down this path toward bitterness. Now, there is another path you can go down, isn't there? path of gratitude and recognizing God's provision when it comes. Uh, years ago, I, um, now this will tell you how long ago this was. I listened to this on audio cassette, testimony of a guy named Captain Gerald Coffey. And he was a prisoner of war at the Hanoi Hilton. He was a naval aviator shot down uh, over Vietnam. And he was a prisoner at the Hanoi Hilton for seven years. And he talked about how guys, when they were in that environment, they either got bitter or they got better. And he's exactly right. He said, you know, he goes, we used to complain about the bugs that we would find in the flour and the bugs that we would find in the bread. And then we realized Bugs in our bread equal protein in our belly. So I made up a little poem one day. Because I was looking down, I found half a beetle. And he was, I looked at it and I went, little beetle in my bread, I think I just bit off your head. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of protein, but they had the bugs, and God provided the bugs. And they, he said, we stayed alive eating that kind of stuff. Now, maybe it wasn't ultra-deluxe accommodations in the desert either. But nevertheless, they were not starving. And in spite of that, and look look at what they say. We had it better in Egypt. Is that true? It says, we sat around pots of meat. 
I'll bet. Does that sound like the conditions of somebody being kept in slavery to you? Not to me. In fact, everything we know historically about slavery says that basically the slave master gives you just enough to stay alive, but barely any more than that. It says, we sat around pots of meat and we had all the bread we could eat. And so God responds when they pray. Moses and Aaron pray and God gives them another test. He says, I tell you what, I'm going to send you bread from heaven and I'm going to send you meat. And you're going to realize that I am the Lord who provides for you. And on top of that, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to do that right away. And as soon as Aaron tells the people, look to the Lord, they look off in the distance and they see the glory of the Lord revealed in the cloud. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if God himself appeared in a, in a visible form or if the cloud glowed more than usual or what exactly that described. But the people all recognized that God was present with them. And then that night, this is cool. In fact, I would be up for this miracle any time and twice on Sunday. Quail come in and just kind of lay down all around their tents. Now, if there's a tasty little bird <laughs> anywhere in the world, quail head the list. Okay? Yeah, Marty, you can testify on this, man. Quail are as delicious as they come, right? And in fact, still in the Middle East today... They, what they'll do is these quail migrate around, and they only fly about yay high off the ground. And so they set up nets all around and in the migration path, and they catch these birds by the hundred uh, in, in these little nets when it's migration time. And then they have barbecue, and quail are tasty. Deep fried and peanut oil, oh man. Okay. They are something else, right? And they've got quail. God not only provides meat, he provides delicacies. Little flying steaks right there. Land right around the tent, right? <laughs> and it's fantastic. And then in the morning, they go out and they look, and the whole surface of the ground is covered white. And they go outside and they look. Now, God has told them, Think about this. This is funny. God says, in the morning, you're going to, now, now he says, tonight you're going to have meat. And they go out, and here they come. You know, like giant bumblebees flying in, or landing all around their tents, okay? And in the morning, you're going to have bread from heaven. So in the morning, they go out, the whole surface of the ground is covered white, and they ask this question. What is it? <laughs> okay. And that literally is becomes the, the name of the item, manna. That's what it means. You may not know that. But that's what manna means. It means, what is it? Because when they went outside to look, they didn't know. Why didn't they know? Because they didn't believe what God told them. In the morning, you're going to have bread from heaven. And they went outside. They saw the bread from heaven on the ground, all around. And they went, what is it? Okay, isn't that, I mean, that's dumb, right? I mean, this is, this is, uh, these are, these people are in the slow group. I mean, it's like, what, what, 
What is with you? God told you you were going to have bread from heaven, and you've got bread from heaven, and you go out and you go, I don't know what this is. You know? But you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the funny part. I see myself in this too. God makes me all kinds of magnificent promises. And when they arrive, I go, well, what is this? Huh? What's that? You know, I'm just as mystified as they were, okay? But, and they went out and they, they were told to gather it up, but don't keep any of it till morning. Now, an omer is about a, is about a half a gallon. It's about as much as you can eat in a day. It was about a half a gallon per person. And some people went out and gathered like it was going out of style. And some people weren't, you know, weren't sure they wanted to eat that much. And so they gathered a little bit. But then when they went in and they measured it, everybody had the same amount. How did that happen? God provided. And it was meant to, to last the, 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 just the day. And then in the morning, there would be more. But some people didn't trust the Lord again. And so they're like, well, I'm going to gather a bunch, and I'll keep some of it till tomorrow, just in case there's not any tomorrow. And it bred maggots and stank. And Moses is angry with him. He's like, look, the Lord told you it'll be there tomorrow. But they don't believe God's word, and so they don't obey it, and they want to keep some. And this is to teach us that God provides in spite of all of our grumbling and all of our complaining and all of our immaturity and all of our lack of faith, God still provides. Um, let's move on. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years, so they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Again, manna here was a test. They were to gather enough every day to meet their needs because God would provide every day for their needs. And in fact, he provided enough on the sixth day so they would have one day a week where they didn't have to work, where they didn't have to do anything. They were just to stay and rest 
and worshiped God, and God watched over it on the sixth day so that it didn't rot on the sixth day. And they would not have to go out. And some, but nevertheless, some of the people went out looking on the seventh day. Now, they were told, now, today is the sixth day. You're to gather two omers apiece, so one gallon apiece, because there won't be any tomorrow. And in the morning, some people went out to look <laughs> to see if there was any. And there wasn't any, and it's like, huh, I wonder what happened. <laughs> okay, but nevertheless, Moses goes back over it and says, look, the Lord has given you a day to rest, so enjoy it. Rest. By the way, there's a lot of stuff in your Bible. I could show you a lot in your Bible that would advocate and support doing things like resting, eating Rocky Road, enjoying life, okay? And, you know, crunchy peanut butter, right? Uh, you know, the good stuff and enjoying that as blessings from God. And the Sabbath was given not just to teach them about creation, which it's a reminder of, but it's also meant to teach them that it's okay to rest and that God watches over you. And that you don't have to work yourself to death to provide for your needs. God will provide for you. God will provide for you, and God will supply every one of your needs. And they were to keep some of the manna in a jar, which they did. Uh, they kept it, actually, when the ark was built, they kept it inside the ark, alongside the tablets of the law, the original set that Moses broke. And they kept it alongside Aaron's rod that budded, which happens in the book of Numbers, which we won't get to, at least not soon. Uh, but... And all these things were kept as symbols of Israel's unbelief and rebellion. And then on every day, on the, every year, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would come in and he would pour the blood on top of the ark, and it, would, it symbolized the blood of sacrifice covering over the people's sin. And so this is the first, this is the first thing that goes in that box, is this pot of manna, which was kept supernaturally, uh, so that the people would know, look, this isn't just a story. This is something that, was, that really happened, that you could really see the manna that was really there, that God really provided. Now, here's the point that this text is teaching us, that God will meet all your needs according to his gracious plan. Remember my question from the beginning? Is God's provision dependent on your faith and your trust? Let me give you an answer in one word, two letters. No, it's not. God is good and he is gracious even when we, his people, are a bunch of complaining, selfish, immature ingrates. But seeing God's provision ought to, nevertheless, increase our faith, and enable us to trust Him. Amen? We shouldn't think, well, and, so this is, and don't think this. If this is how you're inclined to think, don't think this way. This is not the way of spiritual maturity. Don't think to yourself, well, so the pastor is saying that even if I don't trust God, He's going to provide anyway, so I just won't trust God. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Okay? What I'm saying is, is that God is gracious. And that his continued provision, regardless of how we behave, ought to increase our maturity, 
ought to increase our faith, ought to increase our ability to respond in gratitude for what he has provided, rather than being a complaining whiner like these people were. You know, a lot of us, if we're honest, we don't worry that much about whether or not we're going to have enough to eat today or what we're going to drink. You know, a lot of us, we could eat for a week on just what's in the pantry. And if we emptied the freezer for probably a month. But here's the reality. Sometimes the abundance of God's provision in our lives causes us to forget that ultimately it's all God's provision. Amen? And so I want to just challenge us here. I've got just a couple minutes. I'll wrap this up here. Um, But just as a way of combating the sinful tendencies that we all have, the same ones as as they had, I'm sure that if I were in the congregation of the people of Israel, I would have been just as dumb as they were and gone out in the morning and gone, what's that? (laughs) Okay. And when the quail came in, gone, Hmm. Well, that's kind of cool. God made God made it rain quail, you know. Um, but nevertheless, not believe that God was going to provide, just like they didn't, because I sometimes still don't. Amen. So, uh, three things here as we wrap up. First of all, thank God. You want to combat this in yourself. Thank God for what you have, rather than complaining about what you do not have. Uh, my my wife's this is my wife's expression. I will steal it from her, but give her credit. She says, "Comparison kills contentment." She says that to our kids all the time. Okay, and she's exactly right. Comparison kills contentment. But you know what? Thankfulness opens my eyes to see God's glory and see the blessings that He gives being revealed. The reality of it is, is that God is not a vending machine who exists to meet my need. Some of us tend to think of him that way. Well, I'll pray, you know, I'll put in a quarter, and I'll have God spit out what I want, right? But the reality of it is, is that God is not that way. He promises to provide our needs, and he does. And so I need to be thankful for his provision, rather than looking at, you know, God, if you would just provide a a Lamborghini, you know, you know, you have to open the door to be able to back up in one of those things. <laughs> I kid you not. You have to open the door and stick your head out and look. <laughs> That's stupid. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, okay, sometimes I forget to thank him for what I have. And when I thank God, rather than complaining about what I don't have, it combats some of this tendency in me. Number two, trust God to meet your needs day by day. God gave manna for six days, and you couldn't store it up on any day except the last one so that you could have another need met, which was the need for rest. In the same way, by trusting God each day, what you see, what you find out is God meets my needs every day. Every day. When I get up in the morning, I don't have to go, but what about tomorrow? As Jesus said, tomorrow will take care of itself. as enough sufficient for the day as its own trouble. Amen? i got to trust God day by day. He's going to meet my needs. Uh, third thing, 
praise God for his gracious plan, which includes both Mara and Elam, both hunger and filling, both work and rest, both thirst and satisfaction. You know, we, we, we like to go into this. In fact, when people get married, they think this, right? They go, let's see, I'll, I think I'll take health and wealth and, uh, and good times, and I'll, I'd like to leave out sickness <laughs> and poverty <laughs> and uh, <laughs> any, you know, uh, bad times. No, we're not going to sign up for those, right? But here's the reality. When you get married, you sign up for it all, okay? When you, when you decide to follow the Lord Jesus, you sign up for all of it the same way. You sign up for Elam, for sure, because that's, that, that's coming. But you also sign up for Mara. You sign up for quail laying around your tent. But you also sign up for, God, I'm hungry. You sign up for thirsty and refreshed. You sign up for all of it. And it's all part of God's gracious and good plan. Because his desire is to bring us to maturity, not just to bring us blessing, right? I've said this before, I'll say it again. Probably get tired of hearing me say it. But God doesn't care a lot about our comfort. He cares a great deal, though, about our character, about what kind of people we become. And he is making us people who look like Jesus. And all these circumstances are part of that. So thank God for his gracious plan. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, (coughs) I thank you that your plan for us is good and it is gracious, that it includes hard times and good times, rest and work, provision and scarcity, that we might learn to trust you in all circumstances and be thankful in all circumstances and praise you in all circumstances. And Father, I pray that as your people, that we would learn every day to trust your provision for that day and to look to you knowing that the future is secure because you are already there and you've already made provision for it. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.